0: Never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't offer it any further. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that wonders, does Lois Lane still get confused and fooled by the glasses? I don't know. My name is Drew, I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. Hey, man. How was What's, your week? Um, It's been a week. Um, nothing yeah. really too crazy or exciting going on for me. Um, it's kind of just beginning of the summer, kind of trying to get yard work done and stuff <laughs> nothing too exciting uh well, how about you honestly just keeping up with the mowing the lawn is the hardest part about this time of year but uh my beef is uh there's just too many things going on that affect my job for some reason this month and i really just want it to end <laughs> so yeah so there's that and then the next thing i'll be want, wanting to be over is fourth of july because the fourth of july festivities are coming around the corner and Because I work in law enforcement, it affects my job heavily. And it's just like, okay. (laughs) we got our old uh, regular old Ebenezer over here uh, who is saying bye humbug to all the holidays, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Not bye humbug to the holidays, bye humbug to the community events. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, Anyway, but what uh, what have you watched? What are you reading? What are you. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, I've uh I've kind of been staying pretty busy with other stuff. I haven't watched and read a ton this week. Um I did see that Dungeons and Dragons is on I think Peacock. It might have been Paramount. It was it was it's one on, of those two It's on Paramount. Paramount, okay, yeah. So I Cause saw I it watched back. it because I rewatched it yesterday. <laughs> nice. So I attempted to watch it yesterday. Um, I watched about half of the movie and then uh, went to bed just because it was late. Uh, so I'm looking forward to finishing that, and I'm liking what I what I see so far. But uh, I don't know if I have too much to say besides that. Where where did you go to bed? Yeah, that is a good question. So um, did you did you see the speak with the dead scene? Yes. Okay, and that was awesome. <laughs> That was a lot more elaborate than I thought it was going to be because I didn't realize they were going to literally interview like 30 different corpses. <laughs> so well, fun. the guy's like, then what happened? Well, that's where I died. <laughs> yeah. So um, he, he didn't know. It was so good. And then I thought it was great because he's like, is this working? Yes. <laughs> and it takes up a question. It's like, did that just take up a question? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm liking it so far. I think it's a really, it seems like a really good, concise, story as far as like an advent adventure that you would use to gather up your team and, you know, go storm the castle, so to speak. And, uh, I'm really enjoying that. Um, and I'm also loving the mixture of, uh, not just CG and practical effects, but getting to see stuff on screen, like getting to see like a dragonborn, for example, or seeing an owl bear and stuff like some of this, uh, the effects and how they're delivered, um, I guess the imagery and how it's delivered, I'm really enjoying. Uh, My one thing with the movie is like, I can't help, but while I was watching it, I kept comparing it to uh, The Legend of Vox Machina, actually. And I think it's just because the first season of that show felt like such a good D&D adaptation that it was just kind of like, I keep comparing it to that where like, I like how the D&D movie started but I think I liked how Legend of Vox Machina started in a tavern and was, like, really bombastic and crazy from the get-go. And I find myself doing that, even though I know I shouldn't be. Um, but either way, I'm enjoying it so far. I don't uh, I don't have any, like, major complaints or anything at this point. Sure. Well, overall, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um, I look forward to hearing your more <laughs> thorough review afterwards.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, Besides like- that... Oh, sorry. I almost, I almost texted you to say it's on. So check it out. But right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, besides that, um, I've really just watched a couple new trailers, um, which I'm sure, Drew, I'm sure you've watched the Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning one. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. Look, I was excited for this movie, but ah, I just, it just made me more excited for this movie. So anyway, what are your thoughts <laughs> No, it was awesome. It's one My of those opinions th- going to be totally biased, so please go ahead. <laughs> well, it's one of those things where it's mission impossible, so I fully expect there to be like an intricate, like really interesting, um really action-packed just good story, but I think I was there to watch this trailer because I wanted to see the spe- the spectacle. I wanted to see the stunts. I wanted to see what is Tom Cruise going to try to pull off this time and uh With last summer, with how big of a movie Top Gun was and the practical stunts that were in that film, I think we're just all ready for some more of just Tom Cruise doing crazy shit on the screen. And so that's really what I was watching this trailer for. And uh, just some of the action scenes, of course, the giant um, motorcycle, like, base jump that he does towards the end of the trailer, but even some of the crazy, like... uh, it looks like there's a crazy train scene where a train more or less oh, gets like cut in half and falls off a bridge, and there's just like crazy stuff going on, and I'm super looking forward to this movie. You know what I mean? You know what's interesting about the train thing is, um, did you ever see the Lone Ranger remake, the one with uh, Army Hammer and Johnny Depp? Yeah, yeah. All right. So whether you like the movie or not, the final ten minutes of the movie are a train chase action sequence and maybe 15 minutes but that whole sequence is almost worth the price of admission to watch that movie um and when I saw that there's some crazy train fight chase something going on in Mission Impossible I was like oh man this could be really good because I feel like they're like hey do you remember that Lone Ranger movie (laughs) let's just (laughs) Let's do that, but we're going to turn it up to 11. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> so. Absolutely. So I think you're making me feel like after uh, Dead Reckoning comes out, we're going to have to do our top five train fight sequences for a list because thinking about it, there's some good ones. You have the Lone Ranger one you mentioned. You have like Speed. You have the Wolverine had a great train fight scene. Well, well, Wolverine did have a, a good train That's sequence. All right. It. Yeah, we, yeah. Might have to, we might have to do that. But, yeah, let's save it for Dead Reckoning's release in July. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the only other thing that I checked out was uh, I watched the teaser trailer for uh, the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. I don't know if you had yes. a chance to watch this one. I watched that, too. Uh, first off, was not expecting Josh, Hutch- Josh Hutcherton to be, like, a lead actor in the movie. <laughs> <That's> um, <true. laughs> but uh, it looks cool. Um, I don't know if it's going to go rated R or probably going to be PG-13. That is my guess. But it looks kind of cool and creepy and messed up, and I'm in. <laughs> yeah, the, so. the, amount, the amount of... Uh younger moviegoers who are going to want to see this movie i feel like they're going to have to go with a pg-13 rating but that's honestly okay sometimes like there's some really good pg-13 rated horror movies out there like uh i mean one of my favorites is like um uh drag me to hell i've mentioned plenty of times on the show but then there's like a lot of those like late 90s during like the whole like You know, Scream, I Know What You Did Last Summer, like teen horror movie craze. I feel like a lot of those were PG-13 and stuff. But this movie, Five Nights at Freddy's, looks like a lot of fun. It looks like it's when you come to like a direct adaptation of of something, it looks like they're staying super faithful to the uh, video game. And uh, the thing with this movie is... I just want them to be able to differentiate it from Willy's Wonderland, the uh, Nick Cage movie that has, like, pretty much the same plot. But I think that uh, – Drew, did you ever see Willy's Wonderland? I don't know. Okay. I'm gonna say, I'm How about – I don't – dot, <laughs> dot. dot. No, I have not seen that movie. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, did you see a movie that's, like, pretty much – Uh, Nick Cage fighting against the Five Nights at Freddy's characters because that's pretty much what that movie was but the thing about uh, Willie's Wonderland is it's a very indie level like obscure horror movie it's one of those movies that is so unique and even though like the visuals look a lot like Five Nights at Freddy's plot wise I think it's quite different especially when you get into like Who Nick Cage's character is in that movie and what he is and the potential like cryptic backstory of that film, I think because of the weird like cult B-horror movie presence of Willy's Mm -hmm. Wonderland as well as like the weird obscure backstory to the whole thing. I think Five Nights at Freddy's is going to be a very different film, if that makes sense. Um, but it'll be a fun thing to compare both of them. And uh, Drew, I definitely think you need to watch Willy's Wonderland uh, when you get the chance, because it is a, uh, it is a weird time, but it's also kind of cool. <laughs> the <It's laughs> <So. all right. laughs> weird time. What a review. Um, anything else you watch? No, that's about it for me. Um, yeah. how about you? Well, so I checked out, like I said, I rewatched Dungeons and Dragons. Great time watching it a second time. There's a couple things I literally spotted that I was like, oh, I don't remember seeing that the first time. But the first time I was with my D&D group and we were just excited to be there and we had the entire theater ourselves. So there was a different level of energy and laughing and stuff like that in the theater as opposed to me like really studying it. So nice. Um, I picked up on a couple extra things like names of cities and na- and like actual call outs to Dungeons and Dragons lore and stuff like that. So, um, the the thing that I did check out that was new is I watched the first probably half of Muppets Mayhem on Disney Plus. Oh, nice! <laughs> um, and I'm gonna tell you, this is probably one of the funniest Muppet things they have ever done. Wow! This might be one of the best. Muppet things they've ever done. Um, It you know how every now and then Muppets will tug at your heartstrings. So there's definitely some moments that have the feels, which is perfect. But this is so funny. It's so well written. It's like on a level of brilliance that you're just like, yes, we need more of this. Um, The show starts off like a this is Spinal Tap kind of a show. Like, I feel like that's the whole first episode is like, a, this is Spinal Tap kind of a thing. Nice. Um, The plot of the show is that the ultimately the plot of the show is you have this girl who works for a record company that's going out of business and um, she's doing everything she can to save her job. But she's also like, I don't want to lose the job. So if I can keep the record company alive, maybe I can, you know, keep my job and all that stuff. And she's looking through some old contract. Uh, her boss is a Muppet. And uh, her boss is like, you need to we need to start getting rid of some of these documents and stuff because they're going to come move and stuff. But they want to move a lot. So start shredding some of this old stuff. So she's going through some old documents and she comes across a box for the electric mayhem. Um, And she's looking at some stuff and she and it's the no way they owe us an album. So basically, they got a recording contract from this company and never actually recorded the album. So now it becomes the quest to get the band to record the album. (laughs) Nice. That's awesome. Um, but ultimately that's the plot of the show. And it's all about how the electric mayhem is who they are because who they are and you can't force them to be something they're not, which is ultimately, which is ultimately given that, you know, Muppet, that message of be who you are and don't let anyone, don't worry about what other people think and just be who you are for who you are and that kind of thing. Um, and they do it in the most touching Muppets way, but at the same time it's just hilarity You get to see the actual origin of Animal, like where he came from and how the band found him, which was awesome. Uh, Some of the best Animal moments, in my opinion, are in this. Um, And then he's got a lot of great moments, but there's just some great like I've never seen Animal act like this before. And it's so funny to kind of watch. So, yeah, it's great. Um, I can't I can't talk enough good about the show, but the celebrity cameos are mind blowing um billy corgan from smashing pumpkins is in it tommy lee is in it little nas x is in it weird al's in it like it's just (laughs) it's fantastic dude and i'm only halfway through i can't wait to see like where things go from here so (laughs) well that sounds amazing uh of course there's some great uh celebrity cameos but it's awesome that it is uh people from the music industry that sounds like just really entertaining to uh watch through that but i also like that Part of the genius of the Muppets is, like, I feel like is shown in uh, what you've just described to me for the plot of this show. Because you take a very realistic plot, like, something that feels akin to, like, the movie, like, Almost, Almost Famous or, like, so many other, like, just really great stories about the music industry. Like, it feels very grounded. And then you just throw Muppets into it. And it just works so well when you have the balance of... The grounded realism with the whimsy that the Muppets bring to the whole thing. And uh, no, it sounds sounds really cool. So, yeah, I, I really, really hope you get a chance to see it sooner than later. How's that? Right on. <laughs> um, all right. That is it. All I have. But we have a bunch of news. So you want to just get right to it? Yeah, let's go for it. OK, so we're going to hop into the news. I'm going to give you a brief list of. I don't know how long we're going to be dealing with this writer Strike thing. I'm literally in my mind going, time to start rewatching stuff. Um, what do I want to do a rewatch of? Because this is going to be the time to do it. But here's a list of major shows that have already been affected. And I have a feeling there'll be more coming. A couple of these on here are movies. So, uh, Night of the Seven Kingdoms, uh, which is the Game of Thrones series. We talked about that last week. Abbott Elementary, Big Mouth, Blade... Cobra Kai, Evil, Hacks, all late night talk shows have ceased production, Loot, Severance, Stranger Things, Saturday Night Live, and Yellow Jackets. Um, Those are some major ones. Um, There's definitely plenty more that are getting affected, and we're probably going to see more. I don't want to spend every show talking about the writer strike, so we'll give updates as they come. But I just figured I'd hit these real fast and just say, hey, don't expect any new content soon or be expecting long waits on them. So, um, did I lose you? okay. I was going to say, you got real quiet that I lose you. Um, no. <laughs> all right. Um, okay. In the midst of this, Disney officially owns all of Hulu. So Bob Iger announced that Disney will become Disney plus and Hulu will be combined into one app by the end of 2023. Um, service will remain available separately. I want to know how this functions for us existing subscribers. Yeah. Um, I want to know, I'm kind of, I'm really kind of curious about it because Hulu has a lot of rated R content, but in the realm of like putting it all together, this is that thing where Disney acquired Fox. So now they have all this like stuff and it's like, well, that's just going to go on Hulu for right now. Like I think it could be a really cool app experience, but Time to start paying attention to your parental controls is basically what I'm going to say. But I think this is a really smart move by them. I think it's a really cool move. I think they're learning a lot about. Um, I think they're learning a lot about uh, the streaming industry, and we'll get more on that later tonight because there's a big. Uh, I got a, a bunch of stuff from Bob Iger specifically here. Um. Okay. Yeah, we're in the midst of like a big trial and error sort of like cluster situation with uh (laughs) disney and i guess the streaming wars in general uh one thing i've noticed about hulu recently is uh i don't know when it happened but hulu has a lot of the uh funimation anime shows on there and uh i've been kind of in a big anime mood lately so i've been going there a lot to watch like my hero academia and i've seen like other shows on there that i want to watch and like i've been loving that so i hope this disney hulu merger doesn't negate all of that anime goodness because hulu's kind of been like my go-to place for anime right now and uh it'll be interesting to see how this plays out (laughs) i don't think it will because there's been a lot of reports that disney recognizes the appeal of anime and have been trying to secure rights to certain anime so they can have it under their umbrella so i don't see anime going anywhere once this app thing gets put together um all right here are the quick hit stuff because like i said i've got a couple big ones here so quick hits um echo we remember that from uh marvel right the echo show <laughs> <Yeah>. which is <laughs> technically a spinoff from the Haw- hawkeye show it's dropping on disney plus november 29th and they're not going to do weekly with it all the episodes will drop at once um I've been reading some interesting stuff. It sounds like Disney might be moving to that model with certain things. Um, where like instead of making us wait on the Marvel stuff, here's the entire run, boom, here you go. But like Mandalorian, they might still make you wait because Mandalorian is a huge draw. So they're like, well, that'll keep them coming back, <laughs> you know. Um, so Echo drops November 29th, awesome. Um, The new Disney Gallery episode centered on The Mandalorian Season 3 will drop June 28th. Um, I'm really excited for that. Like, I love those, uh, um, the Disney Gallery series. It's fantastic. Um, Let me see here. Uh, We'll come back to that one. Um, Indiana Jones, finally coming to Disney Plus, May 31st. This is huge because we know Dial of Destiny is coming out, and obviously they're going to want that on Disney+. Plus. But Raiders, Temple of Doom, uh, Last Crusade, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and all of the young Indiana Jones is coming to Disney+. Plus. Crazy. Um, and it was the Indiana Jones that got – it was the young Indiana Jones that got my attention because I was like, yeah, I was expecting the movies to get there. And I was like, whoa, hold on, young Indiana Jones. Um, I know that I have not watched all those um, and I definitely am going to have to uh, sink my teeth back into it because I remember watching a couple of them when I was younger. But it was also well, yeah. you have the one where Indiana Jones is younger and you're just like, well, I don't want to see him as a little kid. But then you're like, well, then you see him in like as the uh, mid to that early 20s. Uh, Indiana Jones, you're like, OK, he's getting you know where I want him to be. So I just think the adventure stuff could be kind of cool. So I'm really kind of curious to uh, see how that plays because I, I know I haven't seen a lot of that. Yeah. And this is kind of exactly what I was talking about an episode or two ago where, yeah, we have a writer's strike and there's all these like highly anticipated shows and movies that are going to be delayed. But Young Indiana Jones, like that's an example of like there really is this like endless back catalog where No one person has watched every great TV show out there and like, yeah, there's a writer's strike, but maybe it's time to go back and watch young Indiana Jones. Maybe it's time to go back and rewatch the X-Files or something like there's tons of great content in the past that I'm sure we all could appreciate more. So I think that's like. I guess that would be my challenge to our listeners is like find some old, cool, maybe obscure stuff and uh, enjoy it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm totally with you. So I, and that's interesting that you said that because that made me a lot of the old stuff is like how I had to kind of look at our list tonight, but we'll get more on that later. <laughs> um, okay. Um, WB. Is considering, (coughs) excuse me, wow, I swallowed wrong. Uh, WB is considering moving Superman and Lois to Max if the DC series is dropped by the CW. Um, Right now, that's the only one still ticking on the CW. And if the CW cancels cancels it, they're moving, they're considering moving it over to HBO Max. So that could be kind of cool. I gotta get used to calling it just Max because that change comes on Monday. Um, By the way, I still still call it the Sears Tower. So. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, if you're not sure how that's going to work from all the reports I've read, you will have to do nothing. All existing subscribers will just see the change in the name, all your profiles, everything will just everything will stay the same for you. You won't even notice. So you'll just get all the Discovery Plus content. So um, hopefully that's, 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 definitely, that's definitely good news. Um, I kind of want to even be a bigger troll about it and just start calling it home box office max every time I mention it. <laughs> Just to be more obnoxious. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, Jaleel White, best known for playing Steve Urkel, joins the cast of Star Wars The Skeleton Crew. Um, All right. The only reason I bring this up is because I'd rather tell you and prepare you, because we don't know what it is, as opposed to everyone missing a key moment in the scene going, wait, is that Urkel? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Fair enough. Because you know it'll happen. Wait, what'd they say? Got to rewind. Like... (laughs) Well, the, um, thing about know Jaleel, the thing about Jaleel, the thing about Jaleel White, and I could be wrong, but isn't he a very, uh, isn't he really well known for being a voice actor as well? Like, I think he's done a lot of uh, voice acting roles. Like, I want to say he played uh, Sonic the Hedgehog in one of the cartoons or something. So he might not even appear on screen. You know, he might be an alien or something. So that's something Good to call. think about as well. Good call. All right. Um, Freaky Friday sequel in the works. Yes, I heard about this. (laughs) And when I say Freaky Friday, I'm not talking just like, hey, they're making another Freaky Friday. No, 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 no. Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan set to reprise their roles in Freaky Friday 2. I just was that kind of blew my mind a little bit. Um, Vin Diesel says Fast and the Furious might end with a surprise 12th film. Um, So we know that Fast 10 is coming and we know there's a Fast 11. But apparently we might have a surprise 12th film, which would make um, 10, 11, 12 to be a trilogy. And then the surprise 13th film, right? <laughs> like, I <laughs> no, <we're> not. <laughs> as long as Cars are cool, that franchise is going to exist. That's all I have to say about that. Um, are we going to get to the point where they're going to recast all the fast actors and it's just going to be like like somebody's playing... uh. Vin Diesel's character is that Dominic Toretto, I believe, like somebody's playing that character, but it's just a different actor, like a younger like. (laughs) Well, the problem is, is like you like. So James Bond is played by multiple actors over the years. Yeah. Batman has been played by multiple actors over the years. I feel like some of these characters get to a point where it's so jarring to see someone else in a role. Han Solo is a perfect example that it won't work. That's true. You know, and that's where, like, am I going to see, like, who's the, like, are they going to do a young Dominic Toretto, and then they have to hire a young actor to play him? Like, that could be weird. So, who knows? Um, But then again, the way AI is going, and ChatGTP, and uh, ReSpeecher, and the Vox program, and all that stuff, like, you don't even need actors on screens anymore. You can do the whole thing... um, with AI and animation and uh, special programs, I mean, Avatar was essentially just a cartoon, if you think about it. So, you know, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> I mean, sure, but that can go. There's a lot of dark ethical places that discussion can go when you're watching, yeah, I like, know. I know. 50 years of the same young actors who have passed away years ago. And you're just watching their, like, AI CG corpse of themselves portray characters and stuff but that's a uh, a, let's take a quick sidebar onto that ai singularity for a minute (laughs) and i say that because we have a lot of ai stuff in the news right now but have you been watching the news lately in general Uh, i watch it every morning when i'm getting ready for work because i want to watch the weather so i actually watch the news every morning um right right the conversation about ai whether it's chat GTP or some other AI program or like the AI art stuff or whatever. It's so heavy in the news right now. And there's like all these people talking about the benefits of it and all these people leaving the warnings. Yep. It is almost like, now I love science fiction. I know you do too. We've seen so many things like Terminator and the matrix and like ghost in the shell and these other AI stuff. Wally is a perfect example of this where We're warned about artificial intelligence and we don't see the warnings. And then later we have to watch the science fiction movie about the robot invasion, AI singularity, taking over and wiping out humanity. And in the background, they have the news broadcast of all the stuff we weren't paying attention to. Yeah, it's all on right now. And I'm watching it going. I feel like I'm in a science fiction movie and you guys are not listening to what you're putting on the TV. It's crazy. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We could be on that for the rest of the night, so I'm going to cut it right there for now. But seriously, like, pay attention to the news. It's weird. You know? So, anyway. Um, yeah, everybody go watch Megan. That's all I'll say for now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. um, stuff. Yeah. Um, there's been a bunch of Superman uh, casting floating around the internet right now. Um, and this person's playing Superman. This person's playing Lex Luthor, all that stuff james gunn tweeted the following for all of you at asking i would never comment on who or isn't auditioning for a role who is or isn't auditioning for a role that's the actor's business only and it isn't something i'd make public unless they did it first after the fact like glenn howerton or zachary levi having auditioned for star lord and being top choices for now only one person has been cast in Superman Legacy, and it isn't any of the regular players in the Superman world. And I'll tell you right now, that is that is, gives me two ideas. One, it's Sean Gunn, James Gunn's brother, because he's in everything James Gunn does. Right. And two, it could be his wife, who plays Harcourt. And I say that because she plays Harcourt on Peacemaker, and she was in, um, and she was in uh, Shazam, and she is going to be part of the James Gunn universe. So... Um, she could be the person he's talking about. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing, and I laugh because I know there's a lot of people online who are kind of uh pissed about it because they were saying, like, oh, James Gunn, you're going to carry your wife over from the EU into your new DC reboot universe, but you're not going to carry over Henry Cavill, for example, um, among other actors. So I think that—I just kind of laughed about it. But, yeah, I think uh, I'm right there with you with the uh, well, predictions about that. I don't have a problem with it because his wife was in The Suicide Squad, which he had directed from the other one. And then he right, right. and then he did The Peacemaker show, directly carried off of The Suicide Squad. There's a second season of The su- of Peacemaker coming— So her character, if you saw the end of Peacemaker, is most likely going to make an appearance in the next season of Peacemaker. And now James Gunn's in charge? Come on. (laughs) I don't see see it. I I don't know why people are surprised by that. So I'm not necessarily um, upset about it. Like, I don't think her character is like a make or break character for me in any way. But I do understand, like, the people who, like, are just really behind, like, Henry Cavill's the perfect person to play Superman. Why aren't you using him? That's kind of like an argument they've been using. Um, so I was just kind of uh, being amused by that a little bit. But uh, no, I, I, I hear you. I'm uh, I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic for uh, James Gunn's DC stuff. And I don't really feel like we've seen enough to even ju- judge it one way or another at this point. So. Well, we haven't seen anything yet. Um, yeah. But speaking of... Uh... James Gunn's DC Universe. Stephen King tweeted the following earlier today. I got an advanced screening of The Flash today. As a rule, I don't care a lot for superhero movies, but this one is special. It's heartfelt, funny, and eye-popping. I loved it. Yeah. Um, that's phenomenal. And I say yeah. that because it, it's the I don't care about superhero movies, but this one's special holy crap, you know, so. Absolutely. Stephen King, uh, or I was just going to say, I saw this tweet right before the, uh, right before we recorded. And I was like, that sounds amazing. And uh, with the flash, like we've heard, I feel like we just hear nothing but good things. So uh, it'll be really exciting to finally see this movie. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's awesome. (laughs) Well, as long as it, as long as I don't walk in with, Too overhyped expectations. And you're going to have to really stay away from the Internet because the Internet, those advanced screenings and all that stuff, people are going to be jerks about it because it's DC and not Marvel. But I think we're in a world where DC is starting to – the coin's starting to flip on Marvel, to be completely honest. But hey, but I'm so curious if, like, the people who are going to be online and who are going to be spoiling stuff for the the Flash, is it going to be stuff that you might already know? Like, are they going to spoil an event? that happened in uh, Flashpoint, for example, like from the comics, and you're just like, well, I already kind of knew about that, so it's not really a spoiler. (laughs) It just makes me curious. Sure, I hear you on that. All right, so speaking of Marvel, um, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 holds the world record for the most prosthetics used in a movie. 22,500. Previously... Previously held by *How the Grinch Stole Christmas*. Um, that's that's awesome, and I say that because we know James Gunn likes practical. But it's awesome because um, it's nice. It's nice to know what there was so much practical as opposed to like CGI stuff. And I bet it all has to do with the uh, like the flesh planet that they go to. But that's probably <laughs> where the, probably where the majority I don't- of it was. That movie used so many, um, just various aliens had like prosthetics and stuff like that. And it was really awesome. Like I love the guardians movies. Um, a minor complaint I had with the first one is that most alien races were very humanoid with just a different color face. Like, Oh, now here's a pink alien. Now here's a blue alien, but they kind of all looked pretty much the same. And I kind of love how, as those movies, as the guardians movies progress, you get more and more just like crazy alien designs and makeups. And so the prosthetics was like a huge thing I appreciated about guardians three. And, uh, I just think it's awesome. Like James Gunn comes from, uh, like he originally worked for trauma studios who did like, um, the toxic Avenger and class of Nukem high and like all those like old eighties, just like latex prosthetic, like, uh, crazy films back in the day. And so it's awesome that he's taking like that sort of uh, cool prosthetic horror heritage that he has on to like do really successful things in the MCU, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Nintendo is considering a legend of Zelda movie. Thanks to the super Mario brothers, big success. Um, Hell yeah. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Don't, just do it. Here's the thing. Um, my, I've been watching my kid play Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom this past week, and um, it's mind-blowing, like, some of the things that they can do in that game. Um, I don't know if you know much about it, but Legend uh, Link has a fuse ability now. Um, it's, like, one of the new things, and it's story-driven, so it's actually a, a plot point as opposed to them just giving you a cool item. But he can, like, so... Let's say you have a river you need to get across. You could cut down the trees and use this fuse power to, like, put the logs together to make a raft and then sail across the river. Um, Okay. You you can, oh, shoot, my sword broke. Well, I have a stick here and a rock, and you can fuse the stick to the rock, and you can make a whole new weapon. There's stuff like that all over the world. Um, I watched him take a shield and fuse a cart to the shield. And he ultimately created a skateboard, which functions as a shield when he needs it to, or he can flip it onto his feet and skate down the mountain. And then when he gets off of it, it just flips to his back because it's a shield. Nice. Like the stuff that it's just it's incredible. Um, There's been reports of them saying that people are like solving problems in the game by just using platforms and making really big bridges to get over stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Which is hilarious, but. Um, the game's incredible, and the popularity of Legend of Zelda right now—it's just like do it. Um,
1: <laughs> we all,
0: we all want it. So anyway, um, Dungeons and Dragons is getting a streaming service. I don't really know what this means yet. Um, so <laughs> it's gonna right now. It's called Dungeons and Dragons Adventures. Uh, it's gonna be a streaming service. Um, what you're gonna be able to expect from this uh, new channel. It will include several original celebrity-focused unscripted series, okay? Um, And for Dungeons & Dragons, pretty much everything will be unscripted because of the way the game functions. Um, These include programs like Encounter Party, based on the podcast, and the comedy improv Faster, Purple Worm, Kill Kill, of which series co-creator Matthew Lillard will retain involvement, so that's kind of cool. There's a, a talk show cooking competition, Heroes Feast. Um and yes, the nineteen eighties Dungeons and Dragons Saturday morning cartoon will be among the streaming platform, which that's awesome too. Um they're saying it'll also have plenty of third party content from other internet creators and D D influencers. Um, this could be kind of cool. There's no word on where this goes yet, but hey, if you're looking for that kind of content, it's right there, it's gonna be right there for you. <laughs> so um I I think this is pretty exciting. Um, I just kind of wonder is like, does this warrant its own streaming service or like, would it be better as just kind of like a hub within an already existing streaming service? You know, like we're at the point where like, how many more streaming services do we need? (laughs) So I just think about that, but it does sound really awesome. So it's kind of hard to uh, to know which way this Should go, you know. Yeah. All right, I got two more. We'll do the small one first. Updates on Tycho Atiti, Rogue Squadron, Ryan Johnson, Star Wars movies. Kathleen Kennedy says, Ryan Johnson and I talk all the time. He just keeps getting more and more successful and it keeps things moving things back further and further. One day we'll figure this out. And Tycho Atiti is working away. He's just, and he won't get mad at me for saying this. He's slow. We've got a couple acts. We need a third. Lando is still in the books. Rogue Squadron is still in the books. We just want them to be great. All right. So Taika Waititi movies moving forward. The Ryan Johnson trilogy at some point. Are we going to get it? Sure. Um, the Lando show is still happening. That sounds cool. And then the Rogue Squadron. That's the one I want the most. It's just nice to hear we're still getting them. Yeah. 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 And yeah. All right. Now here's the big story. Um, take of this what you will because Bob Iger does a lot of not talking straight to the audience in my opinion sometimes. This article's massive. I am not going to read the whole thing, but there's some key quotes that I want to bring up. Um he had his uh um uh, quarterly earnings uh call that all that stuff gets made public record. So it's he um he had his earnings call to talk about the future of Disney. Um And he had a talk. um, So how about this? I'll read some of this. Uh, I'll read some of this, not all of it, because it's a huge article. And I read the whole thing going, holy cow, how do I extrapolate this and put this all on the show? All right. Bob Iger, as we grow the business in terms of global footprint, we realize we made a lot of content that's not necessarily driving, driving sub growth, meaning subscriptions, and we're getting much more surgical about what it is we make. So we look to reduce content. Spend, um, looking to reduce content spend. We're looking to reduce it in a way that should not have any impact at all on subs. We believe there's an opportunity for us to focus more on real sub drivers. All right. Um, he then went to explain, and one interesting example I should throw out marketing in too, where when you make a lot of content, everything needs to be marketed. You spend a lot of money on marketing. Things that are not going to have an impact on the bottom, except negatively due to marketing costs. One thing we also know is that our films. That our films, those that are released theatrically, big tentpole movies in particular, are great subdrivers. but we're spending our marketing costs so thin that we're not allocating enough money to even market them when they come on the service. Um, as witnessed by the ones that are coming up, including Avatar, Little Mermaid, Guardians of the Galaxy, Indiana Jones, et cetera, we actually believe we have an opportunity to learn, to lean into those more, put the right marketing dollars against it, allocate more from the programming that was not driving subs at all. Um, and then he goes on to talk about how they've learned. It's, it's like a, mature, uh, a maturing of the platform and a maturing of the company understanding now like what they're talking about. He goes on to talk about that for a little while. And then he says, we're in the process of reviewing the content on our DTC services to align with strategic changes in our approach to content curation. Um, as a result, we'll be moving certain, removing certain content from our streaming platform and currently expect to make an impairment change of approximately $1.5 to $1.8 billion. The charge will not be recorded in our segment results. will primarily be recognized in the third quarter as we complete our review and move the con- remove the content. Um, it's a strategic shift. And I think it has to do with them putting Hulu and, uh, Disney plus together as one app. I really do, uh, where they're going to make room and stress test the servers and then slowly put stuff on, or it'll be like a roving cycle the way Netflix does sometimes. I don't know. Um, then he says, right. in, a, in addition, we're going to lean more on our franchises, our core franchises and our brands. I talked about curation and a general entertainment. We have to be better at curating the Disney and the Pixar and the Marvel and the Star Wars of it all, um, and of course reduce costs on everything that we make. While we're extremely proud of what's on the screen, it's gotten to a point where it's extraordinarily expensive. We want all the quality, we want the quality on the screen, but we have to look at what they cost. So, and then he goes on to talk more about uh, the subscription stuff, and then this is the this is the one that I thought was all right. So here's the last two quotes. And that'll be the end of it because, like I said, this article is huge. But he said, like, all this really cool stuff that I'm like, God, I'm hanging on every word he says. How do I put this on the show? All right. You know, there's so much consumer choice right now, and it comes back to what is differentiated. That's one thing, obviously, we have talked about is those brands. Star Wars, Marvel, Disney, Pixar, for instance, but not quality. I think HBO proved that well. You know, in their holocon holocon days when a high quality program made a big difference not volume and because the streaming platforms require so much volume one has to whether whether that's the right direction to go or if you can be more curated more i use the word judicious a few times but i guess more picky about what you're making and to concentrate on quality and not volume and i literally like got to the end of that and i was like yes quality is a huge piece because there was a point where I'm like, okay, this is going to Disney. This is going to Disney. This is going to Disney. It was like so much stuff. And it's so hard to keep track on this tr- on the streaming war stuff. Um, and, yeah, they want you just watching their platform. But you know what I mean. So, thoughts? Yeah, it just really sounds like they're trying to scale things back in a way to where they're not putting a ton of money into the production of uh, – maybe shows or movies that aren't getting watched as much and they want to just scale it back and focus on putting out quality over quantity. And um, I mean, we've talked about the Star Wars shows and the, the MCU shows on Disney Plus and stuff, and we've both enjoyed those quite a bit. But um, at the same time, like, I'm not going to say, like, I don't think any of the MCU shows could have couldn't have been better like I feel like they all could have maybe been streamlined or uh could have been better in certain aspects and I feel like it's one of those things where I'd rather get like one like um or like one or two amazing show as opposed to like seven like okay shows you know what I mean so maybe that's what they're focusing on and I feel like that's if they're able to deliver on it, I think it'll be a really good thing. Um, I think they're a streaming service that has an extensive back catalog, too. And I feel like they don't necessarily showcase their back catalog very well. You know, like you go into Disney Plus and it's always about like a ton of new stuff. And like you're not always going to be excited about watching all their new shows. But they don't I feel like they don't maybe showcase a lot of their classics and the way they could and uh you might disagree with me there drew i just i don't know it, this this is a weird thing and i don't necessarily know all the answers to it but it is an interesting um interesting stuff he's saying so yeah yeah um so yeah we'll see and if they're going to focus on quant quality that's fantastic and i can't wait to see where it goes um yeah. and i love reading through those uh earning calls because it just it it's kind of like, sweet, let's let's hear what the plan is, even when there's not enough plan to be given where they don't have a lot to tell us. It's still like, let's see what the plan is. Let's see where we're going with this. Right. Um, that is it for the news. So, Pete, let's um, talk about tonight's list, shall we? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. Let's roll the thing. The top five. This is your list, man. Why don't you uh, explain this really difficult list? You thought it was difficult, um, so I'll this explain was why I thought it was difficult. But go ahead. Okay, so this was a list where um, I don't know. I just thought it would be fun. Uh, we've talked about our top five just film directors in general, and uh, I thought it would be cool to talk about our top five favorite animated film directors and uh when i think of that list like i at least thought of three or four names just off the top of my head like that would probably make it so i thought this would be a really fun one to go through um and like i said last week like if you found it difficult, like you could always default to like, these are my top five favorite animated films and then just simply look up the director of those films. But uh, yeah, w- uh, how do you find it difficult, Drew? <laughs> what I found difficult was there are names that came to mind that aren't directors. Right. OK. Fair because enough. on an animated scale, a lot of times someone who's considered a director is actually an executive producer Who, in a weird way on an animated project is essentially um a director so even the executive producers on an animated project are ultimately almost more of a director than they are um, than the director is in a way um because of the source material because of the franchise rights whatever the case may be so i found that very interesting as i was kind of peeling this together um When I watch a movie and I look at it, I know that the director has a visual style that he's looking at. I know he it's the I have a visual language I'm trying to tell. I'm trying to put the camera in a specific place I want to put it. Um, I need the actors to do a certain thing and all that stuff. But with an animated project, the director may have a vision in mind, but ultimately he's telling you where to put the camera because the animators have to extrapolate and put that on screen, so this director is more directing the animators to do what he needs them to do on screen. Do you know what I mean? Where your executive producer has to do that, but also make sure it like flows. It's it's this weird subcategory of like directors I found. Um. So I just had I had trouble doing it because I was like, wow, this is crazy. Um, so I think it's um yeah I think like. In principle, like all the same roles, like director, producer, et cetera, et cetera, I think they do still have the same place in animation, but it is a completely different medium than live action. So things do play out differently. Um, right. The and thing that. The visual, I, lang- the visual language might not even come from the director, it might come directly from the animators because they're being directed to do so from a studio head or something like that. Um, yeah. That's, so. that's true. I guess what I think is interesting about talking about um, just animation production in general, but a lot of times with the directors is um, a lot of times a director for an animated movie started out as an animator himself, yeah. and uh, maybe he was super successful or had a certain style that really worked or something and worked his way up the chain to eventually be directing things. And I think it's cool that when something's animated... They're literally fabricating all the imagery from scratch So yeah. the backgrounds and the way the characters look and the way everything looks can really be stylized in a certain way that um, that really caters to that director's choices But drew, I do know what you what you mean like there I think there's certain projects where there might be, one person who's hired on to be kind of like the style guide who is who has control over like how the characters and backgrounds work and the director might not be as hands-on with the actual way things are drawn but then there's also certain directors which i'm going to get to later in my list who obviously have a huge part in how the uh characters look and how the animation and the visuals are presented um and so it is a complete different beast and uh i know when i got into researching like certain films like especially with a lot of the warner brothers like dc animated projects and stuff a lot of those didn't have one director it was it would be like a group of directors on one film so that's a whole different conundrum to go through but i know so, I only have one honorable mention in the midst of all of this. Okay. So, I have two. So, I can go On first. That <laughs> so, um, my first one, I feel like this is such a gimme. I feel like this would be uh, at the top of so many people's favorite animation directors' lists. But I went with Hayao Miyazaki, um, you know, famed director from Studio Ghibli. He's done stuff like Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke. Uh, Castle in the Sky, like he's done. Uh, what's I I I was gonna rattle off some more, but I kind of <laughs> kind of trip myself up there. But he's just like when it comes to somebody who obviously has a lot of control over the way that his stories are presented, and especially the visual language. Like I feel like Hayao Miyazaki really has that when you look at his work. Um, all of his movies have they're all anime styled, but they're also very distinct and they're always beautifully animated, really detailed. And uh, I always love the charm that he, that he puts into his characters, like how the characters have like, like the good characters have a really like innocent and like, just like, I don't know. I can't think of the right word, but just like adorable, like charm to them. And then likewise, the villains are, um, you know, definitely like super sinister, but also very pleasing to the eye um and uh as far as i know miyazaki the way that he works is he essentially does all of his storyboards so he'll like you know close himself into his house or whatever and he'll draw all the storyboards of the of the anime that they're putting together and then he'll use those to instruct the animators from there and so his process i actually think is pretty akin to like a uh, comic book artist or a mangaka and the fact that he from the beginning is just holding himself up storyboarding it out putting the visuals together for the story he wants to do so i always thought that was pretty cool so yeah and um you're kind of putting it in a position where i don't know what to say else about him um oh, i feel, sorry, like, sorry I feel about like I, no it's all good <laughs> he's a fantastic director i feel like you left me with his art's cool you know <laughs> My bad. Sorry about that. Uh, he it's it's cool visuals. It's very pretty. No, this is a he's a director that he has a lot of control over his specific projects. And I think it's really um I think it's really cool how and he's a he's a perfect example of someone that would fall under director creator category in the world of animation yep. where um he has control over it but you know, it's the this is what I want. This is how it's going to look. I'm going to do some of the on- animation myself, so on and so on. And then you get these gorgeous anime films. And I think in any conversation, you could say um, you could be talking. It's funny, like if you and I start talking anime, we could get really niche, deep cut stuff like that. We could go to Comic-Con and bring up anime and we could get really weird, niche, deep cut titles that uh, and and get really obscure but if you get into a random, like, party where you're not sure what the vibe is, you're not sure who fits where, and you're just like, hmm, I wonder if there's any nerds in the group, and you bring up anime, at least one person's going to go, you mean like uh, Princess Minanoke <laughs> You <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. like, like, people know that, you know, so, I, I'm with I, you. Uh, uh, Totoro was in uh, Toy Story 3, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Some really extreme ties, so. <laughs> yeah, perfect example. All right, um. All right, so my first honorable mention is Henry Selick. Um, Nice. uh, This should be, I feel, higher on my list, Um, but he's, I think, I've only seen a couple of his movies. He's specifically known, and this is that common misconception thing, so many people think that Tim Burton directed The Nightmare Before Christmas. He didn't. Henry Selleck directed Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton was the executive producer, which brings me to a great point about um, the executive producer role on an animated film. Oh, especially okay. especially when you talked about um, multiple directors on animated films. So um, that's Henry Selleck. I mean, he has it's, it's really great. But when you look at Nightmare Before Christmas, this is Tim Burton's visual language. Henry yes. Selleck just told him where to put point the camera. Yeah, and I feel like this specific example, it's so, I totally see what you're saying when we, before we started our list, because yeah, like Henry Selick did direct Nightmare Before Christmas, but Tim Burton, um, as far as I know, came up with the story. He came up with the looks of the characters. He instructed like a lot of the visuals of the film and Henry Selick was there to bring it all to life, to... um, bring the characters to life to animate their presence, how they act, how they were going to uh, vocalize like the dialogue, how um, all of this imagery paired with music. And I think Henry Selleck did such a beautiful job at that. And I think he doesn't get enough credit for that film, but Tim Burton does have that super distinct visual style and he so much credit for the film. And I feel like, he's not overrated in that sense because he did have such a he did have such a informative hand on how that film looked and tim burton yeah. is an animator himself and through the years has featured Animation in a lot of his movies in really cool ways, especially when you look at his live action stuff, like whether it's Batman '89 or Edward Scissorhands or other places, he's mixed in animation in really cool ways. But I do agree with you, Henry Selick uh, doesn't get enough credit for that movie. So yeah. So anyway, that's a, that's just a perfect example of the uh, executive producer situation. Uh, before we got into the actual picks of the night, so. Um. <laughs> So, uh, moving on to my next honorable mention, and this one was a little bit of, uh, kind of a similar conundrum because I thought he was like the sole director of more things. And it turned out he was on a lot more like teams of directors and stuff than I realized. But, um, I went with Bruce, Tim, um, Basically, the guy behind the look of, like, Batman the Animated Series, like, he was, like, a head animator on a lot of projects. He does have directing credits on a lot of stuff, like Mask of the Phantasm. He is a director on that movie. I was a little confused researching it, though, because there was, like, five or six other directors, and I think they might have directed just certain sequences. But when you look at uh, Bruce Timm's roster, he also has directing credits on, like, the Superman Doomsday movie for DC, which was awesome. Um, He had like uh, Batman and Superman gods and monsters. Like that was a really fun movie as well. And he's got like such a cool list, but he's also like his style is so iconic and it's something that really blossomed in the early nineties with Batman the animated series. But his mark on the animation industry is still alive and well today. And like, even though I think I was a little disappointed to see he wasn't the sole director on as many projects as I thought. But I feel like you can't have this list and not mention him because of his credit on stuff like Mask of the Phantasm. But also just his impact as far as, like, the industry goes. Like, his impact cannot be understated. Like, he really revolutionized American animation in a lot of ways. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you, with Bruce Timm specifically, um, best representation his DC universe that he created, um, best representation of superheroes. Period. Um, I know I'm not the only one who believes that, and I know you can throw the Marvel films all at me, all at me, all you want, but best representation of superheroes. Period. Especially Batman, especially Superman, especially the Justice League, and so on. Um, what I think is really interesting is, um, you know how I said I wanted to, I'm going to read, my goal is to read every episode, every issue of the detective comics. Um, yeah. so I am in, I'm on episode five, uh, episode, I'm on issue 542 at this point of like over a thousand. Uh, so I'm cruising right along. It's taken a good long time to do so. And it was really interesting to watch the evolution of the comic book so far, but I'm at a point where I believe I'm in the seventies um i have uh i'm in the jason todd era if you will uh jason todd's officially now robin um and what's interesting about it is so he's officially robin now and um the change of robin uh from the the detective comics robin to the batman robin because it's the two different comic books the batman robin is the one that's stuck and the detective comics sorry the detective batman jason Todd is the one that stuck, which is the one we know today. The Detective Comics version of Jason Todd was completely different. And then at one point in the book, it literally switches with no explanation to the same Jason Todd for continuity's sake. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but the uh, I'm starting to read books or, and issues of the comic that were represented in Batman the Animated Series. Oh, cool. So that I thought was interesting. Like this is the original story and I saw the animated series episode, you know, so That's I know cool. that was a little Bruce Tim uh, thing, but we wouldn't have the comic book industry today. I don't think would be what it is without Bruce Tim. It's a it's an art style that we know and love. It's an art style that I want more of. And I get excited when I see it. Even if it's, like, someone recreating it and doing, like, a really cool art piece online, I'm like, wait, when did Bruce Tim do this? No, it's a different artist. But I love that art style. It's great. Um, So, yeah, anyway, Bruce Tim, no, phenomenal. So, so. Yeah, I feel like we could go on and on about him, actually. <laughs> it like yeah. should have been a full episode, you know. But, uh, yeah, I guess that throws it back to you for your yeah. actual My list. First right? actual pick, and I can make it nice and quick, uh, Hayao uh, Miyazaki. We already talked about him, Um, so I can toss it right back to you. But I really, really like his movies. I've seen, I think there's only a couple I haven't seen, but um, they're gorgeous, well-written films. Sure, Princess (laughs) Mononoke. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, Yeah, no, I really, really like that one. I think it's because it's the first one I saw. Yeah, Um, I I used, I think I used to go with uh, Princess Mononoke just because of the. I guess it just feels more like an action film than a lot of his other ones. But I think uh, today I would probably say Spirited Away. I think that. Oh, yeah, Away is so Fantastic. Gorgeous and stuff, but they're all good, to be honest. You can't go wrong with anyone. Yeah, I don't I know? really don't think he has anything. He's definitely one that's batting a thousand, if you will. So <laughs> right on. Um, yeah. What's your first actual pick, man? Yeah, my first actual pick is actually my only other um, anime director I have on my list, and it's actually specifically for one film, which is pretty funny, but uh, his name, and I might be butchering this, I hope I'm not, but it's uh, Katsuhiro, Ot- Otomo, Katsuhiro Otomo, and he is the supervising director on the film Akira, but he is actually the uh, manga uh, creator behind the Akira comic back in the day, so... Hmm. This is a pretty cool situation where you had Can you um, just for humor me say his name one more time. Yeah, so it's uh his last name. Oh, Otomo. So that's the probably the easier one. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably I'll probably look it up, but uh just make okay. sure I spelled it right, but I can at least phonetically read it <laughs> uh, gotcha. on the screen. Um yeah, um but but this is one of those cool situations where you have uh you have this really high-regarded comic you have Akira which I think is an achievement in visual storytelling when you really look at the manga and the art and the time and the craft that went into it and I know manga artists are known for having assistants help them meet their deadlines like that doesn't happen a lot with American comics like if you read an American comic drawn by Jim Lee Every panel, every background, every character is drawn by Jim Lee. And I know in uh, the manga industry, typically you'll have the main artist who will come up with a story and probably draw all the characters, but then he'll have people to, who help him with uh, the backgrounds and uh, special effects and stuff like that. And I know that manga artists are known for working with a lot of uh, assistants. And the reason I bring that up is because when you look at the Akira manga, I swear there had to be like so many people working on some of those pages they are so detailed like some of the backgrounds in that book are amazing and uh, it's just an achievement i feel like an artistic achievement and then you have the creator of that book go on to be a supervising director of the actual film and the film itself i feel like is also an achievement because it carried over the same thing the craft and the detail and everything that they put in the comic but they blended it with really beautiful animation. Akira I think is one of the smoothest animated just like anime things I've ever seen. Like it's amazing and I feel like it still holds up a lot because of that. But this movie's an achievement. I think the imagery is beautiful, I think especially when you get to the end. It has some of the coolest horrific sci- sci-fi um imagery i've ever seen so i had to give it to this guy and it's funny that i gave him this spot on my list specifically for one movie but i just had to do it because of how much i love akira um this guy has also gone on to direct a, n- a number of other things like Steamboy is another one of his big titles but yeah i really like Steamboy. yeah yeah for for me this he makes this list specifically for the one film so <laughs> sure Sure. Yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts, Drew, but I, I don't because I think I've only seen Steamboy, Um, but I'm definitely with you with the art style and all that stuff. So, well, you've yeah. seen Akira as well. Oh, actually. I have seen Akira. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Good call. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And Akira is so famous and just absolutely famous in terms of like... um um, what it is. And it's a, it's one of those animes that comes up at parties when people don't really know anime and you're like, are you an anime guy? Yeah. Uh, Kira and Princess Mininoki, right? (laughs) Like, you know, um, anyway. Um, all right. So moving on to my next one is Nick Park. Um, different style of animation. This is the creator of Wallace and Gromit. OK, nice. Yeah. Um, and uh, I haven't gotten there yet because I'm very I'm trying to space out my Star Wars visions because I think I thought I burned through them too fast the first time around. So I'm trying to space it out. But there is a Wallace and Gromit style animated. I, so I think Nick Park did one of the directions for that one or one of his the people who works for him did it. But um, it's that style of animation. But yeah, Wallace and Gromit, such a great um, such a great series of short films um Nick Park directed and all that's directed and created and all that stuff but it's claymation as opposed to just normal animation um I'll tell you if you want a really good fun ride watch uh The Wrong Trousers it's probably my favorite Wallace and Gromit uh short um but yeah really really cool um I really liked um Chicken uh Chicken Run I thought that was a really really good movie um in terms of like not just the story but the animation and stuff too so yeah I don't know if you have anything on Nick Park but No, I mean, he's amazing, of course. Um, Like, the Wallace and Gromit stuff is great. Um, I especially love Chicken Run. Like, I think if you watch that movie and just pay attention to the way it's shot, like, it's a lot more cinematic than you would expect. Like, some of those shots in that movie are great, and they really tell the story of these chickens in a really epic way like as far as when it comes to the shots that are used and stuff but his animation style is so it just makes me smile everybody looks like so silly but you're also like right on board with it right away and um no it's great great call I was hoping that this guy would be brought up I didn't know his name before you mentioned it but the Wallace and Gromit guy is definitely somebody I thought of while putting this list together so yeah, well, clearly he didn't make your short list. Okay. <laughs> um. All right, man. What uh you got for your next one? Yeah, I probably should have mentioned this before, but since we were on like kind of a Miyazaki anime train, um, I went into the Akira, uh, you know, tangent. But uh, I have Henry Selick on my list, and we've already talked a lot about him, so I don't want to go on too much. But uh, he also did go on to uh direct the movie Coraline as well, which is. I think Coraline is a real treat. I think it is a uh, super suspenseful movie. Like it really delivers as far as when you look at, um, kid friendly horror media, I think Coraline is like one of the top notch, like best things. And, uh, he did a great job on that movie and he's obviously somebody who knows how to push the limits when it comes to, uh, stop motion animation, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Interesting. Um, and I don't know what to add cause we already talked about him. <laughs> yeah. So literally I was about to say something and then my brain went blank. I'm like, I don't know what to say else on Henry. Like. Um, Coraline is really good. Um, did he do, um, the corpse bride? No, I was actually looking at that before the list. I guess Tim Burton actually directed corpse bride oh, and uh, okay. Tim Burton also did like Frank and Weenie and stuff. And that's, that's the thing is yeah. like, Tim Burton is from like Disney animation. Like, he definitely does have those animation roots, and it's kind of cool to see that he actually directed some of those movies himself, you know, moving forward after Nightmare Before Christmas. So, yeah. And, um, yeah. And with that Disney comment, it's a great segue to my next pick, and that's Don Bluth.
1: Nice. Uh, We matched
0: this one. We did? Okay, cool. I was wondering if we would. Um, uh, Don Bluth goes way back to like Disney origins type stuff, worked on Robin Hood and Sorcerer, uh, Sword in the Stone, uh, Sleeping Beauty. He was an animator for them. Um, he directed several films uh, for Disney as well. So, I mean, his career goes uh, it's it goes really deep, goes really far back. But he also like left Disney for a while and directed Five, uh, The American Tale and he directed Anastasia and he directed Secret of Nim*. Um, he's one of the guys that left Disney because of an argument with Walt and went and did his own thing for a while and then ended up coming back to Disney. So, um, if you look at his like, uh, direction style and art style and stuff, there's some really good movies out there because, um, Anastasia is like the one movie that should have been a Disney movie and it wasn't because of the falling out between Don Bluth and uh, Walt. So, um, I think by now, it's probably considered a Disney movie and like under the Disney banner in terms of what it all who owns it, but um, that I don't know. Um, I don't know if I've ever looked on Disney Plus for it, to be honest, but <laughs> right on thoughts on Don um, Bluth. No, I was actually saving him for last. He's like oh. one of my favorite uh animation like personalities in general. I think he has such a rich history as you were talking about, but he's also got like such a unique style like i you can really see how he took like the stuff he did at disney and then he made it further exaggerated when he went on to do stuff like secret of nim or land before time or um like he did titan ae as well and that's one of my favorite movies ever but um especially with like secret of nim like i like that example because that was kind of like early in his like not doing disney career and i feel like he did If you watch that movie and really pay attention to, like, the directing as a whole, he really was doing some pretty crazy stuff when you look at, like, the backgrounds and uh, how some of the colors were really crazy and unexpected. And he was really taking this story that was all about, you know... The rats of Nim and uh, the the mice in the yard and all these woodland creatures that are all very familiar. And he was making it larger than life. And he did that through things like his, uh, like I said, his color choices, how the backgrounds kind of look really psychedelic at certain points. But also in that movie, he has... If you watch Secret of Nim, it has some of the coolest character design. Like when you look at, especially when they go see like the owl, like the way the owl looks in that movie is so incredible and unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, no, Don Bluth, like I love him. I think he's done some amazing movies. I think you mentioned Anastasia, Drew. One cool thing about Anastasia is when it came out, I didn't realize this, but when you go back and rewatch that movie, you realize how much CG was used for like backgrounds and stuff like that. Like a lot of the palace interiors in that movie were done with uh, CGI and uh, you watch it now and it's kind of jarring, but you got to think like this was a movie that was probably pushing the limits of what computer computer imagery could do at the time. So, uh, yeah, that's just something to keep in mind as well. But Don Bluth is great. He's definitely somebody who has a lot of uh, informative uh, control over how his characters look and stuff like that. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Don Bluth. Um, I guess that kicks it back to me then, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so I'm going with Dave Filoni. Oh. Uh, surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, supervising director of the Clone Wars television series, director of the Clone Wars uh, movie. Um, He goes all the way back to Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, He was showrunner for them, directed a bunch of stuff for them. Um, He's been in animation for a really long time, even though now he's moving into um, live action stuff. Um, But when you look at His understanding of a source material like Star Wars and understanding a franchise and what he's able to bring to the table. Really, really cool stuff because he understands story and being a director doesn't necessarily mean I know where to put the camera in the right place. It also means understanding story, understanding special uh, story beats and understanding the juxtaposition of certain scenes and so on and so on. So, yeah, uh, Dave Filoni makes my list for a lot of reasons. I feel like it's a little biased opinion, but hey. Dave Filoni fantastic. So he was actually uh, also the first name I wrote down when you brought this up. Awesome. No, I mean, I think it's a great choice. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't I don't know if I have much to add, but I do think it's oh. a really all and stuff, you know, so. All right. Right on. Um, all right, man. What do you got? Yeah. So, um, another one I can get over quickly. Um, that's kind of because of a few core films, but I actually went with, uh, Brad bird. Um, and he was the director. So his main like animated film that he's like, I would wait for Brad bird to come up, but (laughs) right. Did we match on this one? No, I was just expecting you to bring it up. (laughs) Right. So, so I feel like the main film that he gets a lot of recognition for is the Incredibles. And, uh, the Incredibles is it's still like one of the best superhero movies like period. It is such a well told tale. It is kind of like the Fantastic 4 we always movie that we always wanted but we still haven't gotten. But uh no, it was that movie is so well done and it has such a cool like kind of like 70s sci-fi aesthetic to it. Like I swear there's scenes in that movie that You see like the way that like some of the um, vehicles look and some of the other like, you know, either whether it's a robot or like a sci fi element, and it really has this sort of like, almost like 70s James Bond feel to it. And I always really loved that he was able to capture like that sort of classic sci fi feel within a CG animated Pixar movie like that. Yeah. But uh, the other movie that I have to mention um, is Iron Giant. Like, he directed Iron Iron Giant. Right. Uh, this movie is great. If you are looking for good animation, like, this movie is filled with just, just awesome, smooth, like, just really good, well-done, hand-drawn animation. And it's done in a style where you can... It looks so smooth and so polished but at the same time you feel like you can kind of feel the sketchiness of it as well like you feel yeah. like yeah. there's a hints of the craft and it feels like it is done by hand which is so it's such a treat to watch but then it's mixed in with the iron giant himself this giant robot that's represented with um cgi in a lot of places and the blending between the cg elements And the hand-drawn stuff is just done so well. It's done, like, way better than it probably should have been. Like, it's kind of unbelievable how well that balance is kept in the movie. But it's also just a heartwarming story. Like, it's so good. It's one of the—I've said it before, but I don't know anybody who doesn't like the Iron Giant. It is just such— such a good film. Um, and it's, I want to know who gets through Iron Giant without crying. That's the real catch. <laughs> that's another thing. Um, and then the other thing is just for me, like, Iron Giant has a lot of uh, sort of, like, Superman-related uh, Easter eggs. Like, how the Iron Giant kind of identifies with um, the main character kid, uh, like, his superhero comics and stuff like a lot of that is really touching if you're just like a dc comics fan like those elements are just amazing as well so yeah yeah. all right man well um i guess that throws it back to me uh my final pick of the night and we can make this short because we talked about him already and he's the reason we have certain things the way we do and that's bruce tim awesome Um, i felt like when i put him on the list that he was kind of like my cheat for the night (laughs) <laughs> because of all of his executive producer roles and stuff like that but look man Bruce Tim he's he understood what they were going for and he just nailed it like knocked that out of the park kind of nailed it so um if you don't know what I'm talking about go look up Batman animated series Superman animated series Justice League Unlimited which for some reason Justice League and Justice League Unlimited are on Netflix right now um but go check them out because it's some really, really amazing quality art style and work and whatnot. So absolutely. Yeah. All right. What's your final pick of the night? Yeah. So my final one, I didn't necessarily mean for this to be my final pick, but I actually went with, uh, Ralph Bakshi, who I've mentioned on the podcast before, but he's really well known for doing a lot of like 80s like just really good like 80s animated films stuff like the lord of the rings animated films or the movie wizards or um also like fire and ice and stuff like that but when you actually look at his animation credits credits like this guy has worked on everything like every single like so many or not every single but so many like favorite movies from your childhood have like a Ralph Bakshi credit on it somewhere and that's like really awesome and uh, he also like one of the cool things is he directed the movie Cool World which is pretty fun. Cool World is definitely a B movie like it's not very critically acclaimed but it's one of my favorite movies for obvious reasons and I say that because of the hybrid aspects not just like I think Holly's really hot or something. <laughs> but uh, no, no uh, Ralph, Bakshi, I think he's really cool. He has, like, such a unique style, kind of in the same way as Don Bluth. Like, he has a really cartoony but badass, like, sci-fi fantasy-leaning style at points. And I really love that. Um, and he's also, like, one of my favorite sort of, like, social media personalities. Like, if you, watch, if you follow him on Twitter, he posts a lot of... Uh, a lot of it's kind of just throwback stuff like oh here's a cool storyboard from the hobbit film that we did but um i think it's just kind of cool that he's still engaged with his audience at that level and uh i guess the last thing i'll say because it's kind of hard to sum his stuff up because i feel like he's a little bit all over the place but if you think about his lord of the rings film and i've mentioned this before but i just think it's so cool There's a scene in Lord of the Rings where they're in a tavern and it's like the first time Frodo turns invisible with the ring. And uh, it's the scene where his ring gets flipped up in the air and the ring lands on his finger and he turns invisible. And we all know it from the Peter Jackson Fellowship of the Ring film. When you see that scene and you see the ring fly up in the air flipping and you have this overhead shot that's looking down at the ring and you see it slowly land onto Frodo's finger and then he turns invisible. And it's such a cool visual. But the thing is, that scene that scene in the Peter Jackson movie was like a direct lift from the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings films. And I just think it's so cool that Peter Jackson took that shot and brought it to life in live action. But it also shows that like, Ralph Bakshi knows good visual storytelling because he did that cool visual scene, and it carried over into the Lord of the Rings live-action films that we all know and love. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, I forgot about I I don't know why, but I completely forgot about Cool World. Um, actually, yeah. I didn't forget about the movie. I just didn't think like, oh yeah, that's the guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Um, well, that's the thing is I I w I didn't know if he actually directed it, but then when putting the list together, I was like, Oh no, he was actually the director. That's amazing. So, yeah. All right. So you want to know what we're going to do next week? Yeah. What do we got? All right. So I'm going to throw you a, this could be difficult. This could be easy. This could be, um, I don't even know if there's five of these. So <laughs> this could be, I did not, sometimes I do research before I throw you weird ones. So, So next week, we are going to talk about our five favorite movies that give awards out. Um, For example, at the end of Star Wars, they're given awards. In Little Rascals, they win an award when they win the race. And do you see where I'm going with this? (laughs) Um, So movies that have awards that are won during the course of the film. (laughs) As opposed to movies that win awards. <laughs> okay. Um, I thought it'd be a weird niche, like, I'm going to throw out a challenge and see what you come up with kind of a thing. I think um, there's 100% um, more than five of these. I, I know there are. I know there are. I was literally like, I don't know if I can think of five in my head when I throw this at him. So... <laughs> Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting, but that's really funny. I think we're going to be all over the place with this list. I just thought it was going to be a funny, weird one. So. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, And then we're going to have to come up with a couple special ones because we have our five year anniversary coming, everybody, which can you believe it? We've been on the air for five years almost. Um, and that, so next week will be our 249th episode. Um. So we'll hit 250 first because our five year anniversary lands on a. the way the way the math works out. When you have 52 weeks out of the year, the math just doesn't add up the way you think, you know. So. um, Yeah, I just think it's cool. So we'll see how this plays out. Um, But yeah, man, are you ready to put this episode in the can? Yeah, I think so. I think this this is one of those ones I feel like. The conversation could have kept going, but uh, no, this is yeah. a fun list. After that, after that AI sidebar. All right, don't get me started again. All right, everybody, <laughs> do me a favor and do us, do us both a favor and check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along to a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there. Hit us up on social media. Either way it works. We are on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, Audible, Um, You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better, and it makes the words we say feel important. Uh, You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at NinjaPierre, and that's where I will be reminding you that in order to not fall off of a bird of prey— You just have to cling on. Whoa. (laughs) That is a, wow. All right. Um, There's a certain audience that got that. All right. (laughs) With that being said, let's close this one out. For the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.